0: Oh, well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Oh, good to have you here today. If you're a guest, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you worshiping, whether you're here with us in person, online watching, however you're connecting, we're so glad that you're here. I want to read a scripture to you, Psalm 8, verse 1. It says, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So it talks about earth, and it talks about heaven. It talks about how God is even bigger than all of that. So think about how huge earth is. It's like 25,000 miles in circumference around. You're talking about a, 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 an area mass of about 200 million square miles, the earth. And the heavens are even bigger than that. As big as earth is, you could fit over a million earths inside the sun. And, and there are stars... Significantly larger than that. There are sun stars that you can fit a hundred of our suns inside of. And it just keeps going and going and going. But Psalm 8.1 says God's glory is even bigger than all of that. So today as we gather and we worship, as we sing, as we pray, as we look at God's word, I want to encourage you today, you come here today worshiping the God bigger than anything you could possibly fathom in your mind. So we worship Him today knowing He's a big, glorious, amazing, powerful God who also desires to be intimately involved in your life. And that's a good reason to stand and sing. Amen? So with that in mind, let's do it. Stand up together. Let's worship the Lord.
1: Amen. Good morning, church. He is worthy to be praised He is worthy to have our voices rise up and meet him. Lord, I pray simply that your spirit would be free to move in this place, that you would cause us to worship, that you would cause us to see you in all of your glory, to treasure you above all things, God. We pray that you would change hearts, open our eyes, change lives, bring the lost back to you so that we may simply stand and sing and marvel in the presence of our God for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray and we sing and we celebrate. Amen. Let's sing. Moving, he is always guiding, he is always directing God's purpose for your life. What he desires of you and what he desires of me is found in part in the book of Jeremiah, where he says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. He doesn't want just a portion of our lives, he doesn't want us to hold back some things, he wants us to say, Yes, Lord. I submit my wife, my husband, my children, my job, my health, my expectations, my transgressions, my temptations. Lord, it all goes to you. So Father, I pray that we would pray these things in our heart, that as we come together today, that your spirit would do such a mighty work in the lives of believers and of those who are searching that we would just marvel at who Christ is. God, I pray that you would preach and speak your word through Pastor Brad, that it would change lives, that would heal marriages, that it would turn the lost back from death to life. God, let us just rest in who you are. God, cause us to worship. Cause us to hear from you today for your glory in Christ's name.
0: As we think about that song, I want to encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes. And we're going to go into just a time of prayer. We're going to jump into the Word here in a second. Before we do that, I really want to let us let that song springboard us in to what God has for us. And, and as you're just right here, I just want to take you just, let you just take just a moment. And ask the Lord, as we're about to dive into God's word together, is there anything in you that he desires to fall away? Just right now at this moment, just lay your heart before him and just say, God, everything in me is yours. You do with me whatever you want. There's a quote that Marie and I have been bouncing back and forth with one another this week from a pastor by the name of John Wimber says you are just change in God's pockets and he can spend you in any way he wants you belong to God and he can do with you whatever he desires to do and that's not a scary thing that's a good thing because he's the only one good enough holy enough powerful enough loving enough to know what's best for you and that includes you So take just a moment and set your heart before the Lord and say, God, as I dive into your word here, you show me anything you want to show me. You do anything in me you want to do in me. It's all yours. I submit myself to you. Jesus, when we think about your model prayer, when you said we should ask our Father to give us this day our daily bread, obviously you understood that to mean physical need and, and, and all of that, and we definitely need to pray for that. But God, I think about our spiritual need, and right now, the greatest spiritual need every person in this room has today is that they would lay their heart before you and trust you to do whatever in them you desire to do. So I pray, God, you meet that need today. Whatever spiritual need is in every heart, whatever they need you to speak very clearly to them, I pray, God, today that is exactly what you will do. You will allow anything to fall away that needs to fall away. You will encourage and bolster and lift up anything that needs to be done. So, God, you will do what is right and best in your mind. And so we submit ourselves to you. We trust you with this and say, God, you do what only you can do for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, hey, if you got a Bible, let's find James chapter 2 together, all right? James 2. So if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of James. And uh, by now you should know our big idea for the book of James is this. A faith that saves you will also change you. Right? If you... Trust by faith in Christ, that faith will change you, It will make you different. You will grow, you will mature, you will bear fruit, you will repent of sin, you will grow in holiness, you will be different today than you were previously. If you truly have faith in Christ, you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, that relationship is going to grow you and mature you. You will live out your faith. And that's where we find ourselves today in James 2, we're going to be in verses 14 through 26 and... And 14 through 26 of chapter 2 really takes that idea of living out your faith and drills down hard on it, all right? Um, this passage that we're going to see today is really kind of the heart of the entire book of James. This is the center of James, and everything else kind of flows around it, all right? So as we go at it today, we're seeing the very heart of of the book of James. And here's going to be the big idea from James two fourteen through 26. Here's our big idea for today. Our big truth that we want God to see into our hearts. What you do matters more than what you say. What you do matters more than what you say. And James isn't just making this up out of thin air. He's actually springboarding off something his big brother jesus said i'll throw that up on the screen matthew chapter 7 verse 21 jesus said not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven let these words of jesus sink deep into our hearts as a pastor. I'm going to be very honest with you. As a pastor, specifically as a pastor in the South, this verse terrifies me. I lie awake at night fretting over the reality of just that verse. I got a buddy of mine who pastors a church up in New England um, And, uh, I mean, he lives in a very dark area. Uh, He gets his hair cut by a legitimate witch. Like an actual witch cuts his hair. I'm like, dude, I don't know about sharp scissors. I don't know. I mean, makes me a little nervous. He's in a very dark place. Um, And so he and I have this running debate over who has the tougher job. Right? He's like, dude, man, you don't understand. Like 75% of my city considers themselves to be atheists. Like, they are absolutely opposed to everything. I'm like, dude, I don't want to hear it. I preach every week to a group of people who think they're saved because they don't drink beer and always vote Republican. And that don't drink beer part is changing significantly. I am terrified, I am legitimately afraid of the amount of people, again, I'm just going to be really straightforward and honest, because I'm nothing if I'm not honest. I'm scared to death of the amount of people who are currently sitting in this room right now who don't know Jesus, but you think you do, because you sit here. I'm afraid for your soul. I'm genuinely Prayed for you. And Jesus very clearly says, look, I don't care that you repeated that prayer when you were nine. Your life looks nothing like a follower of Jesus. You're going to hell. Like, you go to hell. It's not the one who says, Lord, Lord. It's the one who actually does what God tells you to do. Again, I say this all the time here. Heaven is not a place for people who just don't want to go to hell. No one wants to go to hell. That's why you're not going to find that Valentine's Day card tomorrow. Happy Valentine's Day. Go to hell. Right? Well, you're not going to see that. No one wants to go there. But heaven is not for people who just simply don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love and obey Jesus. And those two are not the same thing. Just because you're sitting here today not wanting to go to hell doesn't mean that's not exactly where you're going to find yourself. Because you say it, but nothing in your life has changed. You don't actually do it. And This is what James 2 is driving down in on. It is not what you say that matters. It is what you do. So, James takes this idea and hits, I mean, he like, he's driving into a brick wall at 100 miles an hour in verse 14. He just goes straight into it. So, James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him look at the questions that he asks. right that first question what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works the implication the answer there is it's no good at all saying you believe something but not actually doing the life of someone who legitimately would believe that shows that you don't have that faith that faith means nothing to you that faith is not saving that faith isn't producing anything And he puts an even finer point on it in the second question. Can that faith save him? Can a quote-unquote faith that says I'm a Christian, but never actually lives the life of a Christian, can that actually be legitimate saving faith? And the Bible's going to tell you the answer is no. It's not. That faith doesn't save you. That faith can't change you. That faith doesn't Make you new, and faith does nothing for you. Because it's not about what you say, it is ultimately about what you do. And we see this, again, all throughout our culture. Pew Research Center just came out with a survey and found that 76% of Southerners call themselves Christians. 76% 76% of the people you know, you legitimately think they're saved? I'm going to vote no. Why? Because they have a whole lot of people saying, but not very many people do it. And then we have some people within church. It's interesting. So when you think about what James is doing and who he's writing to, he's writing to Jewish Christians. So think about this. He's talking to people who grew up in very devout, strict, legalistic Jewish homes. Okay? Don't eat, don't touch, don't do this, don't do that. They had 613 laws. It was a very difficult life to live under sometimes. So then they find that Jesus just saves them by grace. Like, wait, 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 wait. It's not about what I do. It's just faith in Jesus. All right, but then they swing wildly to the other side and go, hey, it's not about works at all, man. It doesn't matter about any of that. Jesus saved me just by grace. I mean, I can do whatever I want. He's still going to love me, right? God's always going to forgive me, right? I can break the rules and I'm still a son of God, right? Yes and no. And this thing happens in our current churches as well. People grow up in significantly legalistic homes, legalistic churches. They start to get a taste of grace, and they get drunk off that stuff, man. Like, whoa! I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to be in that building. I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I can sin, and God still forgives me. I can do those things and still be a Christian. God's not going to, I don't lose my salvation or anything. This is great. Yes and no. The evidence that you're actually a Christian is that you do the things. Now, we're covered under grace, and it's just by faith. there has to be a practical outworking of it. What you say and what you do, what's more important? I know of a man who would tell his daughter how much he loved her as he violently and horrifically abused her. What do you think mattered to that young woman? What her father said or what her father did? Same for us. What do you think matters to our Heavenly Father? What you say or what you do? Saying is it nearly as significant as the doing. So what we're going to see as we go through this uh, section of Scripture here is we're we're going to see some, some comparing and contrasting of dead faith and real faith. All right, so let's, let's pick that up and see a little bit of this. Pick it up in verse 15. You're going to see that dead faith says, but real faith does. Right? Dead faith says a thing, but real faith actually does the thing. So pick it up in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what he's laying out here is a situation where... It says uh, you have a brother or a sister. So this is someone who's a part of the church. They're a follower of Christ. They're in the church with you. And they show up and it says that they're poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Now, if you get down kind of into the Greek level of this thing, it's an ongoing continual action. It's very serious, severe language being used here. So the idea is this. This is someone who is in threat of dying from exposure because they have no clothing. And not only do they not have food for today, they don't have it for tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day. They are going to freeze and starve to death. And the response to that is, God bless you, be warm and filled. And then you get in your car and drive away and gorge yourself on a buffet. And, And what James is trying to get at here is, so... Do you genuinely think that's an example of simply telling someone you'll pray for them when they actually need a legitimate need that you can feel right now at this moment? Is that actual faith? Is that actually living out the faith? Like there's a need. You see the need. You can feel the need. But you just go, hey, God bless you. What he says there in verse 17 is that faith is dead. It's useless. It accomplishes nothing. So if you take it kind of zoom out a little bit, to even take it out of that specific situation of someone in physical need, and you don't necessarily meet that need, but you just kind of say the words, we don't actually do the thing. You say the Christian platitudes, but you don't actually feel the need. Kind of zoom out from that a little bit more. The big idea this little couple of verses is trying to get at is again. Saying doesn't matter. What matters is the doing. Do you actually do the faith? Do you exhibit a changed life that manifests out in good works? Like this is foundational to the Christian faith. In in fact, it, it... In just a few moments, as we wrap up the service, I'm going to do the announcements. And one of the announcements is going to be baptism. We're going to have a baptism in a few weeks. And so if you're interested in that, you can sign up for that. But so how we do baptism here is, if you're interested, you let us know by texting in or grabbing us or whatever. And we make an appointment to sit down with you. And we sit down with you. We just want to chat. And there are two big questions that I want to talk through with you. Number one is I ask you just to explain how someone becomes a Christian. Right? Just Explain to me how someone gets saved. I want to hear this person be able to articulate the gospel, right? Because at the end of the day, the gospel is good news. It's good information. It is good knowledge. So we have to know 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is of first importance that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried, was rose again according to the scriptures, right? It's You have to understand that's how someone is saved, right? We ask that question because we don't want someone. We've had all this. You ask someone, so how do you become a Christian? Well, you be a good person. No. Will you join the church? No. How do you become a Christian? Well, that's why I'm getting baptized, so I can be a Christian. No. Right, so we ask that to clarify because we want to make sure they understand how someone becomes a Christian. Second question that we ask them is this. So, how has Jesus already changed you? So, you've trusted by faith in Christ. Praise God for that. So tell me some of the things that Jesus is already doing in you. What sins has he convicted you of that you're already turning away from? How has he changed you? How's your life different? So you got, say said you came to faith in Christ a couple of months ago. How's your marriage now? Is it different? Can you, can you sense a difference in the way you engage with your wife, the way you engage with your husband? Tell me about that. Right? We're asking. Show me. Don't just tell me show me by the way we do the same thing with kids we have kids come in for baptism with mom and dad we'll ask the question again so so how does someone become a christian and and we're looking for basic simple you know just say the words jesus and cross that's all right just really simple and then we look at little timmy and ask so tell me about how how things are different now that you've become a christian We'll look at mom and dad and ask. So, do they obey more now? Are they more respectful now? Are they nicer to their siblings now? We ask those things. Why? Because becoming a Christian, is not just about saying the thing. It's about doing the thing. And, and here's what we do wrong. And I say we by big church, universal, all of us. Here's what we've, we've done wrong. Little Timmy, and if your name is Timmy in here, I'm sorry. I'm not pointing at you. I'm just, it's just the first name that comes to little timmy at nine years old says i want to become a christian but but we don't dive down into the what's the what's the practical implications of that we just say timmy repeated the prayer fill the pool everybody and what we've done is this at the very young small seed seed stage of their faith we have already implanting in them the understanding of it is more about what you say than what you do you said the words "boob," let's do it with no thought process of okay so so how is this working out in your life what are you doing now and yes baptism is the first step of obedience that is an act of obedience we want to see more things happening as well right something anything give me something this is what we want to understand. Dead faith just says. Real faith actually does. And, and so then we, we baptize Timmy at nine because he said the words. And then we just deem him saved because he said a thing. Then he grows up. In high school, he's a, just a heathen. In college, he loses his mind even more. But what do we do? We go, I know he acts like Satan on crack. But I remember when he prayed the prayer, so I'm holding on to that. And my suggestion is, you may want to reconsider changing your prayer. Because dead faith just says. Real faith is actually going to do something. And I'm not saying perfect. We're going to talk about some Old Testament examples in just a few moments of people who were not perfect. But there's something. There's something. Dead faith just says. Real faith actually does. And then it keeps on going to the next one. Verse 18. So um, James assumes that people are going to kind of push back on this, just like I assume there are people in the room now. Pushing back a little bit. Thankfully, God gives us verse 18. But someone will say, someone, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What he's saying then is this. You can't get into these goofy little doctrinal arguments to try to defend yourself. Well, I just don't have the gift of works. You have the gift of faith and I or I have to get the faith and you have the gift of works. And I mean, what? James is saying, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You can't see faith, but you can see works. It's like The Invisible Man. You ever watch that movie, Growing Up, The Invisible Man? Like you can't see him until he puts clothes on, and now you see him. Same thing, you can't see faith until you clothe it with good works. It's not saying that. You're not saved by faith. You, of course, 100% are. But when you're saved by faith, that faith will be clothed in good works. And everyone around you will obviously be able to see your faith-driven good works. It's not about what you say. It is about what you do. And then it takes it even deeper. In verse 19, dead faith knows things about Christ. But real true faith really knows Christ. Dead faith knows things about Jesus, but real, genuine, true faith actually knows Jesus in an intimate way. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So when he says here God is one, he's coming off of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where that first great commandment comes from. And so he says, great, you got that first part. God is one. But even Satan and his demons believe that. Satan knows that God is one real. Satan knows that Jesus is God. Satan knows that Jesus is ultimately his creator. Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and is still alive today. Satan knows that there will come a day where Jesus will punish him and ultimately destroy him. He knows all of that and he trembles in fear over it. But obviously, he's not a Christian. Why? Because he knows the things about Jesus. But he obviously doesn't submit himself to obey Jesus. He's entrenched in his rebellion. You ready for a really hard truth? Some of you in this room have the same level of theological understanding as the devil. You've got the same faith level as Satan. Satan. You know all the things. You know all the things. But you don't actually walk out in submitted obedience. You know the stuff. And by the way, Satan actually responds to that better than you do. All the things that Satan knows that you know, Satan hears all those things, knows all those things, believes all those things, and falls on his face in fear fear he shudders he trembles at the understanding of who god really is you know all those same truths shrug your shoulders and go i'm good you've got the same faith level as satan but at least he responds better than you it's not about just knowing the things it's about actually doing them do you do them? Do you live a life changed? I'm glad that you know the stories and know the verses and know all the big words and can debate all of that and explain all of that. And whenever someone asks a big question, they always want to look to you. And you always post something really amazing on social media and everyone likes it. And that's awesome. Do you actually do it? Do you actually obey because that's real faith anybody can know stuff do you actually know jesus are you intimate and close and personal with jesus that's what james is trying to ask you and he gives a couple of old testament examples to this verse 20 do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless. So he gives a couple of Old Testament examples. He starts first with Abraham. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So James um, uses uh, two stories of Abraham and kind of puts them together to explain what's going on in Abraham's life as far as his relationship with God and how that kind of worked out. So the the first story that he talks about is Abraham and offering up his son. So Abraham and Sarah, if you know the story back in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are really, really old, really, really, really old. They don't have kids, but they want kids, and they've not been able to have kids. Like They're like old And God comes to Abraham with a promise. The promise is, believe me, trust me, and I'm going to give you a son. Not only am I going to give you a son, from that son is going to come a great and mighty nation. And it says in verse 23 that Abraham, when he heard this, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham entered into a relationship with God just by faith because he trusted in what God was telling him. That's salvation. But you keep on going in Genesis chapter 22, if you were to read the story. He gets his son Isaac, and then God tells him in verse 22 to take that son and kill him. Sacrifice him on the altar. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And that's what we see in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Again, this doesn't mean that Abraham was saved, was justified, was made right with God because of what he did. What it's showing here is he was right with God because of his faith. But because of that, he did what God told him to do. And that good works proved that he was right with God through faith. And that's where verse 22 comes in. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The word completed means to bring to maturity. So what it means is Abraham became more and more and more mature in his faith by obeying God. The more he obeyed, the more mature he got. The more he obeyed, the more mature he got. Now, if you know the story, was Abraham perfect in his obedience? No. Right, he made a lot of big boo boos. Right, he let his wife talk him into uh, being with another woman to have a kid. Never a good idea. Don't do that. Uh, He also gave his wife away to another man twice to save his own skin. Again, not a good idea. Don't do that. Uh, Can you imagine? I mean, the first time. All right. Can you imagine the camel ride home after the second time? Right. Sarah's like, "You did it again." I'm sorry. I thought he was gonna kill me. I didn't know what to do. He was very, 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 very imperfect in his faith. But as he did just these small acts of obedience and small acts of obedience and small acts of obedience, he grew and grew and grew to the point of maturity that to the, at the ultimate of his faith in Genesis 22, he was willing to kill his son because God told him to. And the book of Hebrews said he had so much faith that if he killed him, he believed God would just raise him from the dead. Like, he had that much faith, he was willing to do that kind of obedient work. His good works brought maturity. Uh, The next story is about Rahab. You see that in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 25, and the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So if you go to the book of Joshua, that's uh, the man Joshua is leading Israel into the promised land. So as they do that, they come to a city called Jericho. Now Jericho was a great fortified city. First city they come to when you get into the promised land. Send a couple spies into Jericho to spy it out. And as they're doing that, they meet a woman named Rahab who's a prostitute. There's no good work exhibited in her life to save her, none, none, she is the lowest of their society, she for a living is a prostitute but she's heard the stories about the God of the Bible, she's heard the stories about the God of the Hebrews and she believes in him faith has welled up inside of her and she wants to follow and obey and serve that true god so god allows this providential meeting between rahab and these spies and so rahab she has faith she hears she's told the spies i've we've heard the stories i believe the stories i want to follow And so how does she put feet to that faith? She hides the spies. Then she lies about it, which is a whole other conversation. We'll have coffee later. Call me. But she hides these spies as an act of faith. Now, hiding the spies did not save her. Her faith saved her. But hiding those spies put feet to her faith, put evidence to her faith. was a good work demonstrating that this faith was real. And she and her family were saved as a result of it. Which is why this chapter ends in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Your good works matter. So let's take this. I'm going to give you a few just big truths, all right? Some big truths that I think we can glean from this passage and really grab onto. As we move forward, okay? So, big truth number one is this. A lack of good works proves that your faith is dead and cannot save you. A lack of good works in your life proves that your faith is actually dead and you're not saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he tells Christians to do. He's writing to a church. He's writing to the equivalent of Southview Baptist Church. And here's, if he was standing up here reading this to us, here's what he would say to every one of us, guy holding the mic included. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The Apostle Paul is saying, you need to search your hearts. You need to examine the fruits of your life and see if you actually pass the test. Saying the words does not save you. True, legitimate, saving faith will result in action. You will do it. So you need to test yourself. You need to sit before the Lord, lay your life before Him, say, God, search me. Am I actually your child? Do I actually have saving faith? Is my life evidence? of a life changed by you. A lack of good works proves that your faith is actually dead and it cannot save you. The second big truth. True faith always true faith always leads to a changed life and good works. It always happens. You are not the exception. You are not the footnote. I understand that for some of us, this is really interesting, as we come to faith in Christ, a lot of times people who come to faith in Christ come from very bad situations. And so I'm not saying you go from, um, uh, I can't find my pants to Mother Teresa in 24 hours. Right? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. If you have true, legitimate, saving faith, like, you're going to start to be different. Right? You're going to. To be different. Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The idea is, if you're actually a Christian, then God has already prepared good works for you to walk in. And if you're not walking in good works, that means you're not actually in the faith. Right? If you are a Christian, God has good works set out before you. And if there are no good works you're walking in... You got the back end wrong. You never came to faith in Christ. Right? This is a natural outflow of genuine saving faith. Third big truth. When you have true faith, your good works will help deepen that faith even more. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved son, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my, absence, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when you have faith, you have to work out that faith to deepen that faith. How you grow deeper in Christ, how you grow more mature in Christ, how you grow farther in Christ is by obeying Christ. This is how you do it. People ask, how do you go deeper? How do you get more mature? By obeying Jesus. That's how you do it. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm also saying it ain't complicated. Right? It's It's not confusing. How do you grow deeper? What did Abraham do? Abraham's faith was completed by his good works. As he obeyed God and obeyed God and obeyed God and stumbled and fell and made some stupid decisions and had to repent. But as he obeyed and obeyed and obeyed, his faith became complete. Your faith is not completed through what you say. Your faith is not completed through what you know. Your faith is completed through what you do. That's how you mature. That's how you grow. Obey. And God is glorified in this. Matthew 5 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Change people, living change lives, manifesting in good works, glorifies God. People look at that and go, whoa, God must be doing something there. So let's get really simple. You ready? You are matured in your faith through your good works. So let's just get really practical. Gentlemen, if you are married, here's what you do. You devote yourself. You set your heart to. You devote yourself to obeying God by loving your wife like Jesus Christ loves his church. You just do that. Obey that. You just set your heart to obeying that. And I promise you, God will take you deeper than you ever thought he could do. Ladies, if you're married... You set your heart to submitting to your husband like you submit to Jesus. You obey him there. And I promise you, he will take you deeper in other things than you ever thought possible. Kids, students, you want to go deep in the Lord? Here's what you do. You obey God by honoring and obeying your parents. No amens on that one at all. You do everything your parents tell you to do, and you do it with a good attitude, and I promise you, God will take you deeper than you ever could have gone. Because you do not go deep through what you say or through what you know. It is through what you do. Obey God, and he will take you farther. Disobey God, and at best, you're stuck. And at worst, you might just be lost. I'm going to ask our, our band to come up, and uh, I'm going to ask you if you just go ahead and kind of, you can shut your Bibles and kind of close your eyes, and let's just kind of get settled here for just a second. We're going to, we're going to end in just a moment with, with a worship time, but I just want to pray over us. And um, we'll, we'll end where we began. What you do matters more than what you say. What you do matters more than what you say. As we began our study in the book of James about a month and a half ago, I said that there are kind of four groups of people that I'm praying for as we go through James. And I want to reiterate that kind of at our halfway point, right? We're at halftime today. It's the Super Bowl, so we're at halftime. So I want to reiterate this. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I want to pray over, over these groups. Um, First is this, there are those here in the room, and you are actively seeking to live for Jesus, love Jesus, and obey Jesus. And to that I say, praise God. My prayer over you this morning is that God will take you even deeper. And my prayer for you, what your prayer would be, is that this morning you would say, God, take me even deeper. Are there areas that I'm not walking in full obedience? Are there areas where I can do even more? I'm saying a little more than I'm doing. You want to go even farther. I pray today that you would sit before the Lord this morning and say, God, do even more in me. I'm thirsty for even more. Do even more. Second, I'm, I'm praying to encourage those who are seeking to pursue Christ. But the truth is, you're just kind of in a tough spot. Maybe you're kind of new to the Christian faith and you're trying to figure this thing out and, you're, and you are and can tend to maybe get a little discouraged if you're not getting as far along as you thought you should. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while, but, but you've gone through a really serious hurt, a wound. Something significant has happened to you and it's kind of stunted your growth a little bit. I'm praying for these people that, God would just encourage you. You'd settle that before the Lord. You'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep pursuing Jesus. As God shows you areas in your life that need to be matured, I'm praying that you would submit that to Him and say, yes, God, I will obey you. Do this in me. Um, Third, I'm praying for... Those in the room who are Christians, but let's just be really honest. You talk way more than you walk. And be of good courage. You're the one James wrote his book to. So, you know, you got a book in the Bible. That's great. My prayer for you is that you won't just hear and agree with the Word, but you will do the Word. You won't just hear it and go, yeah, that's true. But you'll actually obey it. And and last, I'm I'm praying for those here in this room who will call themselves a Christian. But let's be honest. Your life exhibits zero fruit of the Christian faith and you're not actually saved. You're not actually saved. Your quote-unquote faith is dead. It has not saved you. And I'm praying that God opens your eyes to see that and that you would turn to Him in real faith that actually changes you. So I'm going to pray for us. Our band's going to lead us. You can stand and sing. You can come up front and pray. You can grab someone to pray with you, whatever you'd like. But let's take some time here this morning to trust God, to believe God for what He says is true, that you can actually live this thing out and obey Him and see Him do great things in your life. Lord God, just thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and died and rose again to save us, to forgive us, to make us new. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done this in us. I pray, God, that you would allow more and more and more growth and maturity to happen in us as we obey you more and more and more for your glory. I pray that we would be a people who doesn't just say, but we will do. Do this in us, Jesus. We love you. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.
2: Mountain can be moved. They say these chains will.
0: a seat guys have a seat we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here but man that's so good so good hey if you are a guest with us worshiping today thank you so much for being here I'd love for you to do two things number one if you're a guest uh, first if you can grab your phone right now and we'll just text the word connect to our number 910-424-1298 just so we can know who you are and connect with you second is this my wife and I are gonna be up front we'd love to meet you just come up front and say hi, put a name and a face together. We'd love to chat with you. So if you're a guest, please do those two things. And, and for all of us, we've got our three big announcements. We want everyone to know what's going on here uh, at Southview. First is this, I mentioned baptism. That's going to be March 6th. If you are ready to walk through baptism, you've trusted by faith in Christ and ready to be baptized now, uh, just text the word BAPTISM to our number. That'll come straight to us. We'll reach out to you, make an appointment for us to sit down and chat through that a little bit so you can know what's going on. But if you're interested in that, that's March 6th. So text in for that. Second, Ladies of Grace Beach Trip, uh, their beach retreat, that's going to be March 3rd through the 6th. There are a couple of spots still available. Uh, full payment, uh, it, that's going to all end by February 27th. Okay, so you've got a couple of weeks um, but we only have a few spots available, so if you're interested in that, text BEACH to our number. That'll get you set up and ready to go for that. And then our guys, not to be outdone, are going to have a retreat October 21st through the 23rd. Uh, guys, if you want to sign up for that, text retreats. That's going to be for uh, men as well as middle school and high school. If you have, now, in order for a middle school or high school to go, we're asking that you have a parent go with you. Or um, if your parent's not able to go... Contact us and we'll work through the paperwork for that to be okay. Um, but if you are a guy go it's going to cost you 160 bucks. If you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, it's going to cost 100 bucks. Um, we're going to get away for a few days and really encourage and pour in to one another. Uh, in God's word, so very, very excited about that. So sign up for that retreat uh, by texting that to our number. And for all the other announcements that we have, everything that's going on, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play. That's going to help you find all the announcements, sign up for things, find a journey group, give online. You can either give through the app or give in our giving boxes, whatever works best for you. Uh, but we encourage you to do that. Um, and you have been so faithful with that, and I just, I just appreciate that so much Uh, our vision here at Southview is that we would lead people to enjoy and revere Jesus with all their heart That they would worship God with everything they have. That they would nurture that relationship in themselves and in other people. And that they would then go out and share, be a witness in this lost world about how great and glorious Jesus is. That's our desire for you. That's our prayer for you. It's what we're seeking to have God build up in us as a body. And so that's our prayer. That's our desire for you. So with that, I encourage you, let's leave today living that life of obedience. Of submission and joy in Jesus Christ. Because he's just that good. So Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We, we adore you. We enjoy you. And I ask you, Jesus, that you would allow us to keep growing in holiness and obedience. So that we can walk in all the fullness that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Have a great week.